Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. Last week, we looked at uh, the beginning, really, of Romans chapter 12, looking at the heart behind the gifts. And we started uh, the series, we kind of switched up from we are the church to you are the church, looking at the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And as with, last, or as with this week, as, as with last week, as I started I'm, in my introduction, I'm really going to kind of lay out different character traits or characteristics that we are to have in regards to the uh, gifts that God has given to us. And so last week we looked at Romans chapter 12 and we looked at the, the humility that God had, had challenged uh, them with and that we're challenged with to have the humility uh, inside of the gifts that God has given to us. And this morning we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. And at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is writing and he says in verse number 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord... And Paul is writing and, and he, he shares with the, the church there at Ephesus that he is, he is reminding them that, that he was a prisoner. Now everybody knew that Paul was a prisoner and he was writing from a jail cell, but he was reminding them again that, that I am a prisoner, yes, but I'm not a prisoner. At that time it would have been Nero. I'm not a prisoner of Nero. I am a prisoner of God Almighty. I'm a prisoner of, of, of Jesus Christ. And so he kind of reiterates those things, and, and, and as we get into this this morning, I pray that it all kind of uh, brings us together to understand the spiritual gifts that God has given to us, but Paul was proudly stating that he was not wearing a chain for Nero, but he was wearing a chain for Jesus Christ. He says that, yes, I have to wear this, yes, I'm here in prison, but I'm here knowing that my God is all-powerful. Paul was comfortable with the sovereignty of God, and he lived it in this prison state. If you think about Paul, what was Paul doing all throughout his different moments? We can read all throughout Scripture in the New Testament of the writings of Paul, and over and over and over and over again, he says a couple things. That in the midst of his prison sentence, what did he do? He prayed. He worshipped God. He was leading the prisoners around him to the Lord. And there was over and over where Paul was a worshiper of God regardless of the state that Paul was in. He lived singing. He lived praising God. He lived praying. He lived in miserable condition, yet he did not live in misery. Think about that. He lived in a miserable state, but he did not live in misery. How many of us have lived in the glorious position, but we live in misery? Because we allow our circumstance, our condition, to affect our life. Paul lived in the state of misery, but he was not miserable himself. Because he was not a prisoner of Nero or the state, he was a prisoner of God Almighty. Paul wasn't saying he didn't write these letters to shame those people that he was writing it to, to shame the church, that they would, that they would then do the things that he was doing. No, he was, he was writing and challenging them and encouraging them. And one of the things that I, I kind of wrote down this morning is that, that he was challenging them that when we surrender to the Lord, we do not just surrender the things that we desire to surrender, we surrender everything to God. And when we surrender everything to God, that means everything. Paul, it was everything. It was his life. For Paul, it was literally his life. What did Paul do wrong? Not one thing. He preached Jesus Christ. 
So he surrendered everything. And as we live our lives, as we surrender, we are surrendering everything. For Paul, it was prison. But yet he did not stop serving. I was reading this this week out of a book that I've been reading. And I want us to really stop and think. And I'm gonna, uh, I am going to, uh, Dan, maybe you write this down. But I'm going to, at some point, we're going to preach a sermon on our position in Christ Because I think that we have done a poor job of truly understanding who we are in Christ. But I want you to listen to this quote that I read out of a book this morning. And it says this. If I can find it. When we concentrate on our condition, we are not living by faith, but by feelings and appearances. We can't live based on condition. We must live according to our position. Our position in Christ. Let me say that again. When we concentrate on our condition, we are not living living by faith, but by feelings and appearances. We can't live based on condition. We must live according to our position, our position in Christ. I believe that Paul, as much as anybody in Scripture, gave us an amazing perspective on condition versus position as he worshipped God regardless of where he was. Listen, let me just share briefly our condition versus our position in Christ. We all have, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God's Word says that we become new. We are a new creation. Old things are passed away. But here's a statement, and this may or may not get some of you. Um, I am not a sinner in the eyes of God. Today, I am not a perfect man. But I will stand before you as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a creation made new by Him. I do not stand before you a sinner. I stand before you a saint, a child of God, a new man. You say, well, pastor, you just called yourself perfect. No, no. God's word says that when we know him, when we give our life to him in salvation, that we are saints of God. We are children of God. I am not a sinner. Am I perfect? No. But in the eyes of God, I stand in my position. I stand before God righteous and holy and just, not because of anything that I've done, but because of the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ over my life. Here's where we get in, here's where we mess up. And this is where I mess up. This morning, I walked around this room and I prayed some of these prayers. God, I am not a sinner. I am a saint of yours. God, I am not this I am not this man because you have washed me clean. I am not this person. I am this person in your eyes. I am not what I see when I look in the mirror. I am holy and righteous. We fail because we look at our condition, not at our position in Christ. Does that make sense? We, we, we miss out on so many of the blessings of God because we look in the mirror and we go, well... I'm just a sinner, and that's just what I'm going to do. Now, you show me in God's word where after salvation, you are considered a sinner. Then we can have this conversation. But God's word says once you know Christ, you're a new creature. You are now a saint of God. You are a child of God. You are righteous in the eyes of God. Will we fail? Yes. But in God's eyes, I'm still a saint. I'm a child of his. 
Don't live based on condition. That was a sermon in and of itself, sorry. But this is vital as to how we use what God has given to us, each and every one of us in the church. And in this particular passage in chapter 4 of Ephesians, it, it deals a lot with unity. And then it, as that unity, it goes into the gifts of God. But all of that is that God designed each of us a little bit different for the purpose of unifying us, that we would all fit together to be one body. But inside of that, as we understand our condition, as we understand or our position in God, that we begin to be what God has called us to be. We surrender everything. We give all of those things to God. God now can use us as He desires to use us. Because it's no longer about me. Here's where we mess up when it comes to our gifts. I look at my gift as better than you And my pride gets in the way of me and you working together to do the ultimate goal which God has called us to do, which is what? Which is to focus on Him, to know Him, to walk in Him, to have a relationship with Him, to share that with other people. But when I'm better than you, I have a problem. And my pride gets in the way. And I get in the way of working with you. And you get in the way of working with me. And now all of a sudden we split over things that mean absolutely nothing because we allow those little things to get in the way to allow us to not do what God has called for us to do, which is in unity, love Him most importantly, know Him, and then work out from that. Ephesians chapter 4, if you're not already there, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at the first six verses briefly And then we're going to get into three more of the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. And it says in verse number one, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. God, I pray this morning that we would just listen, we would read, we would be prayerfully asking you to open our hearts and minds. But as we look at this thought of the characteristics of walking worthy of the call that you've placed on us, God, that you would pierce our hearts this morning with your word in the truths of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to look in the introduction briefly this morning at these uh, few things at the beginning of chapter 4 of Ephesians, where he says, Paul says, I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Paul is begging the church. He says, I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you that you would walk worthy of the call. Paul had a great loving concern for the believers at Ephesus. Over and over throughout all of the letters Paul wrote, he, he often said things of this nature, that he, would, he urges them, he pleads with them, he shared with them over and over, I love you, we're caring for you, so on and so forth. But as we look at this, he was, he was imploring them, he was, he was begging them that they would walk worthy, that is walk daily, day by day, following after, seeking after the face of God. That their walk would be worthy of God. He says, 
in that thought, in that passage there, that you would walk worthy of your call. And really what we're looking at there, and we're not going through based on time, but the first three chapters of Ephesians is all talking about doctrinal issues. It's talking about um, things that we are to know, who we are in Christ based on doctrine. And then towards the end of it, here starting in verse or chapter 4 going forward, is more practical teachings, practical application. And he's, he's letting them know that we would walk worthy according to the doctrines or according to the Word of God. God, that we would walk worthy of the call that God has given to us. Our daily life should reflect the high position that we have in Christ as a child of God and an heir with Jesus Christ. He goes through that, that we would walk worthy, and he says, with all lowliness and meekness. Lowliness, I'm not going to spend much time in this because I hit on it last week, but humility, that lowliness, uh, again is mentioned. I believe with everything in me that humility is foundation when it comes to our Christian walk with God, period. If we can't get to a place where there's that we are humble before God, you can't come before God. I will not come to Jesus Christ and give my life to Jesus if I am not humbled before him. Because why? My pride won't let me bow a knee and say, you are greater than me. It starts with humility. Our gifting starts with humility. Walking worthy of God starts with humility. And without humility, we honestly can't do much of anything pleasing the Lord. Because pride is hated by God. The next thing he says is, is that, that we would be uh, walk with lowliness of mind. Or low with lowliness, and it says, and meekness. Meekness also would be uh, gentleness. Meekness and gentleness kind of go hand in hand. But again, it's built off the foundation of that humility. It's a byproduct. Meekness is truly one of the greatest signs of humility. Because I can't possess meekness without humility. Because, because pride is the controlling factor. A meek person is normally someone that's somewhat quiet, soothing, mild-mannered. He is never avenging, self-assertive, vindictive, or self-defensive. Think about that. Somebody that is truly putting on meekness in their life, they are not perfect, but typically they would be somebody that would be quiet, soothing, mild-mannered. They would not be avenging. They would not be self-assertive. They would not be vindictive. They would not be self-defensive. Think about Jesus. Jesus goes into the garden, or Jesus is praying in the garden. He has asked the disciples, would you, would you pray with me? And he goes, and they are sleeping. He comes back, and he goes back, and they're sleeping. He goes back, and what happens shortly thereafter? The, the, the group of people, the soldiers, come to arrest Jesus. What does Peter do? Let me ask it again. What did Peter do? He takes a sword out and he slices off the guy's ear. What did Jesus do? Jesus grabs the ear, slaps it back on the guy's head, but he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you not know who I am? Have you forgotten that I could call out to a legion of angels that they could protect me? They could wipe everybody out? Did you, do you forget this? Jesus had all the power in the world to do anything that he wanted to do, but out of humility, out of his love of Jesus or love of his Father, what did he do? In meekness, he said, Who are you looking for? I am he. Meekness. 
He had the power and ability to strike every one of them down. But he said, hey, here am I. Hey, I'm here. I am the one that you're looking for. He did not defend himself. He did not do any of those things, but yet in humility and meekness, we are called to live a life of humility, to live a life of, of meekness. The next one he says is that we would have patience or long-suffering. All of these things, patience comes out of humility. It comes out of all of these things. As we know God more, we desire to uh, put on the character traits of God that we would be patient. I would, whoa, fall off the stairs. I would challenge you and also caution you that you would pray that God would give you patience. If you're like, I have children. I... Hey, nobody really wants to pray, God, would you give me patience? But what an incredible attribute to carry that you are patient, that you are meek, that you are lowliness of mind, that you are humble. How many times I wish I had more patience dealing with my children. And I don't say that in a joking manner, but I say that in all sincerity. How many times I wish I would catch my tongue and not have said the thing that I just said. How many times I wish I would not have acted in such a manner because of not having the right patience that I should have had with one of my children. Many, many times I've had to say, go into one of their rooms and say, Brindley or Riley or Madison or EJ, I apologize, would you forgive me for I should not have acted that way. Why? Because I was not having the patience that I should have had. Patience. He says, forbearance and love. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says it this way, love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. Forbearance and love is not something that is easy. Not that we just brush over the things because we love somebody. But there's many things that forbearance and love allows us to do. That we would have humility. That we would be meek. That we would have patience. And that we would love the way that God has loved. What that allows me to do if I am forbearing in love the way that God would have me to do. As I'm walking worthy of the call that God has given to me. That God has given to you. When we have a forbearance in love. That is this. When Alan has done me wrong. I can look at him. I can forgive him. I can go through whatever those things are. But out of love, it's not that there's not a, 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 a problem with it. I don't just say, oh, don't worry about it. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do not have to embarrass Alan. I do not have to seek after vengeance for Alan. And when somebody comes to me and says, oh, I heard about this, this, and this, I do not have to go, yes, he was wrong. And look how dumb he was. Can you believe that? No, what I can do is say, God is good and we've worked that out and I can continue to move forward because I don't have to bring it up. I don't have to deal with it any longer because it's been dealt with. What we do oftentimes is it's so much fun to embarrass somebody because they did me wrong. And I become vindictive, not forbearing in love. And again, that does not mean that I wash away the wrong that was done and it never happened. No, there's consequences for every action that we take. But that doesn't mean I have to 
pile on that consequence, I can love and continue to press on with my life seeking after Christ. So walk worthy this morning as we look at these gifts and how God brings us together as a body of Christ. I'm going to teach on three. Uh, That was just the introduction. Are we good? Are we good? All right. We are to walk worthy of the gifts that God has given to us. As we walk worthy of the gifts that God has given to us, I believe with everything in us, in me, that it allows us to be unified together. Because we're all focal, the focal point is knowing Him, and I am in relationship with Him. And as I'm in relationship with Him, everything points to Him. The gifts that God has given me, the ways that I interact with others, and so on and so forth, that allows me to be one with you, and you, as you walk worthy of Him, and your relationship with Him, you're able to be in unity with me, and so on and so forth as a body of Christ. And so as we look at this, we're going to look at three different gifts. Last week we looked at uh, three, this week we're looking at three, and next week we'll wrap up with uh, three more, looking at nine gifts. And again, I I hope that some of you have uh, been able to take the spiritual gifts test. Um, I said this last week, this is not something that is like, super spiritually special, whatever, in any shape or form. It is a tool that can help you walk through some of those things and hopefully kind of give you some guidance as you're looking at how God could use you in Oasis or in your life outside of here even. But the gifts this morning that I'm going to look at, the first one is this, Pastor Shepherd. If we are in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to go down just to several verses. In verse number 11 it says this, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. We're going to look at that Pastor Shepherd uh, A lot of those kind of go hand in hand and uh, some people would look at it with elders or apostles and we can, but we're going to look at Pastor Shepherd this morning. A shepherd was a very common term in those days, especially amongst leaders, not just within the church, but leaders inside of the culture that, that we're talking of. So we're not just looking at at this. The other thing this morning that you need to know is I am not here to give you all the, the qualifications of the job or the title of a pastor. We're looking at the spiritual gifts of pastor. So I'm not here to say these are all of the spiritual qualifications that need to be had for you to hold a quote unquote a title or a, a position of pastor shepherd that maybe Dan or myself may hold or be, be entitled to. Does that make sense? We're not looking at the the position of pastor, we're looking at the gifting of Pastor Shepherd. And so as we go through this this morning, we're looking at a shepherd, again, that was very common, because it was used in the analogy of what a shepherd was. A shepherd was uh, to lead a flock, a shepherd was to protect a flock, a shepherd was, they would take their sheep, they would, they would build their corral, wherever it was that they were, they would then gather them and they would take them to the water, they would take them to food, they would, they would lead them, they would protect them. They were the ones that would walk around with the staff, with all of those things, and as, as maybe stray animals, or maybe it was another uh, man from the, from the community would come in and try to steal away one of the sheep or whatever it was. They were a protector of what that was. And so when we look at this analogy or the thought of being a pastor, a shepherd, spiritually speaking, we're looking at these same exact thoughts. 
A shepherd is one who has, or a pastor shepherd is one who has that, that desire of, of leading, a desire of, of being a guard, a desire of, of, of caring for, of, of seeking after. And so as we look at all of these things, some of you in this room may have this gift or this, uh, this calling, I get this gift in your life that you are one who, who desires to, to care for people. Your desire is, is that. We just sang a song that spoke of, uh, it, it made reference to leaving the 99 to go grab the one. Let me just say this. Are you glad that God came in searching after you, the one of the 99? Yeah, I am. God chose you. God sought after you. In Matthew chapter 18, we see that passage of Scripture in verses 12 and 13. It says, How think ye if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray? Doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Jesus is speaking of a shepherd who would look for the lost sheep, who would celebrate for that lost sheep who was able to come home. John chapter 10, that whole chapter is really entitled, I am the good shepherd. But in verse number 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In verse 14, it says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known of mine. When I look at this and what it says about a pastor, a shepherd, We aren't Jesus at all. However, the gifts that God has given to us is that 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 we strive to to seek after the one who has left the fold. We strive to to give of ourselves to the sheep. We we strive to, to know Christ and in knowing Christ we are striving to know people and love people that we would know each other and lead each other and, and guide in that manner. The shepherd would seek after those who are gone. The shepherd has a heart to care and lead people though uh, not perfect as Jesus but they, we, we would desire to guide and lead them. The gifting of a shepherd would have a spirit given capacity to serve and oversight, training and caring for the needs of believers within the body. That doesn't have to be a lead pastor. Many of you in this room may have shepherding, pastor shepherding as a part of your spiritual gift. That doesn't mean that you have to stand and be a lead pastor, but what that does is you have a a gifting inside of you to care for people. I know many of you go to nursing homes throughout the, the on a, mostly on a Saturday morning and you, you speak or you teach or you sing or you do different things. Many of you, your gifting within that shepherding is that you go there and you know those people, you love for them, you pray with them, you care for them, and you seek after them because that's where God has placed you and that's a place that you can shepherd. Many of you in this room or some of you have have a life group or a small group within our church and you care for the people that are there. You text them, you pray for them, you love on them, you desire to, to help them grow in their lives. There's many different aspects of what that looks like. Dan leads a student ministry. Part of that is that he would shepherd and care for those students. 
We've got people that work with our children and work within the nursery and do all of these. What is it? You are shepherding, you are caring in all of these different areas. It's not just that you would stand behind a pulpit and preach and teach. No, but you are caring. You are seeking after the well-being of those that are within your care. At the same time, as with really any gift, but some of these gifts that we're looking at today can bring on easily bring on pride because people look after look for you you're sought after i've said this before this is one of the most humbling positions that i've ever took taken on but it's easy to get off of this stage and say look at all of this that i have been a part of I've gone to concerts, and I don't know how many of you are concert goers. I love music, and I've been to all kinds of different concerts, but I am blown away that one man can stand on a stage with tens and tens of thousands of people, and when he does this, the crowd roars, and when he lays his hands down, they stop. And when he does it again, the crowd will roar, and then he'll stop. He can make one strum of a guitar and the crowd will go crazy because it's a familiar song. And I stop and I think how easy it is the pride that creeps into a man. And in that statement, I've had too many times go back to the mirror and think the exact same thing. Because as you stand before a body of people, I don't say this with arrogance and I pray that it doesn't come off that way. But in a matter of moments, I could cause many of you to be to tears. I could cause many of you to be in laughter. Because it's all based on communication. It's all based on emotion. And the pride that creeps into one's heart. We greatly have to guard ourselves. Because if there's one thing that will destroy every person in this room, it is pride. So the great, or the great, (laughs) it's not the great, the pastor shepherd are all of those things. People that can lead in many areas of ministry because that deals with people loving, caring, guiding, directing. Pastor shepherd. The next one, really the next two and I'm going to do this quickly this morning. The next two are both of which uh, I believe every person in this room is required to be a part of. You might say, well, my gifting is not that. That is fine. Last week we ended with the gift of evangelism. Some people have a gift of just leading people to Jesus. But all of us are desired or are required by God to go and to share what God has done with us. I believe uh, that, yes, all of the gifts, I believe that we all need to be a part of them to some way, shape, or form, to care for people, and so on and so forth. But with these next two gifts, uh, I believe sometimes we are able to, uh, to kind of say, well, that's not me. The first one is mercy. Mercy is An extremely tough word to completely describe or define as I was studying. In Scripture, there are several words that are used to express and define it. Mercy has a meaning like kindness, loving, 
uh, kindness, loving kindness, goodness, grace, favor, pity, compassion, a steadfast love. One of the primary factors in mercy is that of having a compassionate disposition to forgive one who has done you wrong. And even further and deeper than that is to spare them from the embarrassment or the public outlast or outcry of one's actions. Goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning, forbearing one another in love. And so as we look at this thought of mercy, let me just say this from the beginning, and I said it, every one of us has to have a bit of that within our Christian life. One of the things that I hear on a regular basis that is, it just, it's like the fingernails on a chalkboard is that thought of when people do something and then they go, oh, it's just who I am. Let me just throw this out here to you and to myself. It's just who I am doesn't work when you want to tell everybody that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. When you tell me you love Jesus and then you go and you do something that is completely against God's word and then you tell me, oh, that's just who I am. I just want to kick you in your teeth. Because why? Because there's nothing in God's word that says you can just act however you want because that's just who you are. No, God is changing us, and those are just things. So at any rate, there you go. You got my... Theologically, mercy is amazing. At the heart of mercy is the love of God, which is given freely in His saving act of dying upon the cross and offering us the mercy of love and forgiveness, offering of kindness and compassion. The greatest example, obviously, being Jesus Christ, who showed mercy to you and I on a cross But daily, think about this, but daily he does and did as he walked, showing mercy to the less fortunate, to the sinner, to those who were sick and left left to themselves. And you and I are to do the exact same thing. Think about that. The mercy that God has shown to each and every one of us that sit in this room, especially when it comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The mercy that God has shown to us. The grace that He has given to you and to me. And in that, I'm to do the same thing for those that I come in contact with. Some of you have the gift of mercy, but all of us are to live our lives showing mercy. As God has greatly extended His mercy to us, so are we to extend our mercy to others. And he, he mentions specifically to the orphans, to the widows, and to those that are in need. God's mercy in Christ puts men under obligation to act toward others as God Himself has acted towards them. The Lord made mercy a foundation for His teaching. Jesus had mercy and sympathy just as we are to have it. As we love Christ, we are to love people and show mercy to them even when one doesn't deserve it. I'll say this in in regards to some of these things. I remember when I uh, first kind of got into ministry and I started to do some of these different gift tests and uh, mercy was always one of my lowest things. I believe some of that is I'm a very black and white person. Uh, I am very matter of fact. I'm very, like, this is what it is. It's always been. 
But as God has continued to, to work in my life, the last time I took this, I was kind of surprised, especially after my statement of kicking somebody in the teeth. Where mercy is now up in one of my top three. God continue as God works in our lives, God changes our hearts. God brings us to a place where we need to be. I believe some of that is because that's where God has wired me, which has allowed me to do some of what I do. You guys might find this weird. Funerals are something that I thrive at because I love to sit and listen and to have a shoulder to cry on and to do some of those things. I have come to a place of loving people, especially when they're hurting. I don't always know what to do, but I love to listen and to hear. I love to encourage in that regard. God's word, and as he gives us that gift of mercy, you enjoy serving and working with people that some or many may feel uncomfortable dealing with, often soft-spoken, not a fan of scolding or chiding someone. You have a tender spirit about you in dealing with others, easy to talk to, a good listener, circumstances don't control you. God has a plan and desire to use you. To you in this room this morning, maybe it's, maybe it's something in visitation or maybe it's something with counseling. Maybe it's in times of grief. Maybe it's working in places like the rescue mission or, or the, rescue, uh, the women's resource center. Or maybe it's dealing with some of these, the refuge for women. People that, that many have just outcast. You've thrown them aside. That's a place to you that God grabs a hold of your heart. Maybe it's something as simple as ushers. Greeting because you love to listen and talk and making people feel welcome. Lastly, this morning is exhortation. Exhortation. In Romans chapter 12, we looked at this passage last week, but in Romans chapter 12, in verse number 8, we see uh, this, this word of exhortation come about. In Romans 12, 8, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Both of these last two, again, are for each and every one of us. We all need to have and to show mercy on others, just as we need to exhort and lift up others. Exhortation is that of calling someone to come alongside. This can be a couple of things. Can you? Uh, it's something that you're bringing somebody along to help you. I know uh, I've said this many times within our leadership. Uh, we are often bad because we are getter. We we want to get things done. How many of you are just a getter, get it done type of a person? You just want to get it done. I don't need your help. Get out of my way. I've got something to do. We're going to get it done. Right? Many of us in this room. So the hardest thing for some of us in this room to do is say, Hey, I need this to be done. Can you come and help me? You know what's really hard about that? Because I know how I want it done, and I don't want to take the time to teach you to do it the way that I want it to be done. I'll just do it myself, and I'll do it faster than the two of us can do it together. God's Word says, no, we need to be exhort, exhortation. Is I am going to bring you along, and we're going to do this together, because a part of the walking with God is that we do it together, we're growing together, and we're moving forward together. 
another part of exhortation is not just working together, but it's encouraging. It is calling someone and being able to be a comfort, being able to help, being able to advocate. So we're coming alongside to be that. Some of you in this room are incredible at encouraging. I get notes or text messages or letters or different things on a regular basis of somebody just sending a word of encouragement. Some of you, every time you walk out of the room on a Sunday morning, you'll shake my hand and you have some type of a statement of encouragement for me. That is natural to you. It's not something that is fed. It is who you are. God has given you a gift. We all need people like that, but we all need to be that. I need to do better at encouraging. I need to do better at exhorting and lifting people up and bringing people along. As a staff, we need to do better at that. With deacons, we need to do better at that. As a church, that's something that we've been working on from the office side down, that we need to do better at that. Because we need you. We need each other. We need to exhort and bring people along. I pray that on a regular basis that I'm able to do that from the pulpit. That we would encourage, that I would encourage you to walk with Him, to know Him more intimately. It is a, uh, this is somebody that is typically uh, tolerant, typically very practical as you want to help people in practical manners or, or counsel or walking with God. You desire to show how Scripture relates to circumstances. You desire to unify people, especially around practical manners of Scripture, more so than a doctrinal, doctrinal manner. You deal more logically than emotionally. You can be used in many places. Again, counseling is something uh, places of leadership as you love to train and motivate others. You are one that may follow up with converts, one that may follow, with, follow up with new guests or be, people that are uh, seeking different areas of service. You would encourage those that are discouraged. And there's so many different avenues of service there. And this morning, as we hit on these three simple thoughts of how God has wired us as Pastor Shepherd. Uh, somebody with mercy, somebody with exhortation, I I say this and I I continue to press this to you, is that would you constantly be in a matter of prayer, God, what is that that you have for me? What is, as we looked in Ephesians chapter 4, what is that worthy, that walking worthy, what does that look like in my life? How is that being played out on a daily basis? Maybe you have the gift of Pastor Shepherd or of mercy or of exhortation or whatever that is. Let me just ask you, how is God using you in that gifting? Are you seeking Him in that? Lastly, this morning as we close, I would ask you this, and we made reference to this in the mercy of God, or the mercy uh, in the sense of theologically, but as, as God created each of us, we talk about spiritual gifts. That is that we have come to know Him as Savior, and in that, when we know Christ, He begins to work within us to give us a gifting to serve His body. And I would say this, and I would ask you this question again, as I ask every single week, do you know Christ as Savior? Have you come to a place that you've understood that you were created to have a relationship with God? Where you've understood that your sin separated you from having that relationship with Him. That there is nothing that you or I can do 
to experience and to reconcile that relationship on our own. So Jesus, or God sent His only Son, Jesus, to die upon a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And He rose from the dead that we would have life. Have you ever placed your faith in Him to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ? This morning, the invitation is very simple. But I ask you, are you walking with Him, utilizing the gifts that God has given to you? And I ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior where you can say, Pastor, without a shadow of a doubt, I am walking in relationship with Him. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.